In 2020, today's guest and three other like-minded entrepreneurs gathered to break bread and brainstorm around a common vision, that there was tremendous opportunity in acquiring home services businesses. A business opportunity, yes, but also an opportunity to impact the lives of tradespeople. This impact is one that I hear a lot of my guests comment on. Some buy a blue-collar business with the explicit goal of positively impacting the employees. Others only realize a year into their acquisition that this impact turned out to be the most meaningful part of their journey. In today's interview with Amir Habouche, we cover both of these opportunities, the economic and the human. And don't worry, we spend plenty of time on the economic one. As just one example, the first acquisition that Amir and his team made was an HVAC business in Arkansas doing about $10 million a year in sales. Less than three years later, that business is doing $20 million a year. We pick apart how they got from point A to B in such a short amount of time. Lots to learn in this conversation with Amir Habouche, CEO and co-founder of Snowball Industries. Welcome to Acquiring Minds, a podcast about buying businesses. My name is Will Smith. Acquiring an existing business is an awesome opportunity for many entrepreneurs. And on this podcast, I talk to the people who do it. August Felker is a two-time successful searcher. First with a traditional search fund. The second time around, he did a self-funded search. Today, August runs Oberly Risk Strategies, an insurance firm with a dedicated practice group for searchers and acquisition entrepreneurs like you. If you've got a business under LOI, Oberly will provide complimentary due diligence on that business's insurance and benefits program. A great no-risk way to get to know August and team. They love helping searchers. They've worked with hundreds. Oberly is a specialty insurance brokerage for searchers by a former searcher. Check out Oberly-Risk.com, O-B-E-R-L-E hyphen risk.com, link in the show notes. Amir Habouche, welcome to Acquiring Minds. Thank you, Will. Thank you for having me. Amir, you have acquired four businesses, three in home services, one in digital marketing, and you are doing this under the banner Snowball Industries. So we're going to hear all about Snowball and what you've learned through these multiple acquisitions that can help other entrepreneurs who are looking to buy a business and maybe those who have already bought a business. But first, some background on you, please, Amir. Yeah, I appreciate it, Will. Yeah, and so you would know since uh, since we last talked, we actually closed on on two more acquisitions, so now it's oh. uh, now it's six. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great. Yeah, we've been we've been busy. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so a little bit of background about me. Um, you know, I'm I'm from LA. Uh, I have my wife and and, and daughter are with me. They actually live. Uh, my wife lives with me, obviously, and then my daughter is like five ten minutes away. And um, uh, we moved to uh, Los Angeles, or I moved to Los Angeles when I was uh, 16 and fell in love with the town and pretty much uh, stuck stuck there. Uh, my background is in uh, cybersecurity and enterprise IT when I first started my career. Uh, since then, gravitated more into um, online businesses and digital marketing. That's actually how I fell into uh, private equity, buying and investing in, in small SaaS, um, e-commerce, D2C businesses. Uh, over time, gravitated, uh, partnered with a with a family friend, and since then, um, um, 
with his background helping companies go go public in, in the OTCQB, uh, partnered in, in doing a lot of um, um, advisory services where early stage companies that have some revenue looking for um, uh, for capital, our path is to guide them to go public and, and help facilitate that. Um, and that's relevant to where, where we'll talk about uh, Snowball as well. Uh, but you know, doing that um, and helping uh, helping early stage companies um, in their early stages, including uh, not a private equity I was involved with called Kingmakers, in uh, helping searchers uh, finding a business, going through the due diligence process, um, from pre LOI connecting them with lenders, uh, legal, um, the whole M and A process, all the way to acquisition and post acquisition support was my role with the, with my team um, and that's that's pretty much has been a lot of my background in 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 m a and and the trades themselves mm -hmm. great just want to circle back a little bit so so you you were kind of more of a technology guy and your kind of early entrepreneurial dabblings were in buying digital businesses small what uh SaaS businesses or content businesses sort of thing SaaS content e-commerce uh, also e um uh, operating one within the banner of the private equity company that i was involved in and so there are uh, a lot of people out there some of whom have been on the podcast who make a career out of that and they stay in in that digital world uh why did you not the multiples got out of hand and we were very dependent on different platforms. So if Google has an algorithm update or Facebook has a change in their policy, uh, very frequently you're, you're you know, beholden to that platform. Um, we realized early on that um, HVAC, plumbing, electrical type businesses weren't. Uh, in fact, they were underinvested. Um, so the multiples as they were getting out of hand and the risk in increasing, they made it unattractive for us to uh, to stay in that uh, in that industry. That's a strong statement, Amir. That uh, you you left digital because basically you couldn't find a niche where there wasn't significant platform risk. But yeah. as I've looked at digital businesses, and I'm I'm not alone here, I tend to agree. It's really hard to find a business that a digital business whose sources of traffic or whatever it might be, customers are diversified enough to not feel like there is enormous risk or that it's all kind of bound up in a single platform. Yeah. And to add to that, your competitors are, are global. Uh, you could have a business in, in LA and you're competing with someone in, in India um, versus if you have a plumbing company in, in, in Austin, all your competitors are just within that, that locality. Um, yeah. So it makes it a lot more difficult. Anybody with, with the internet access and a laptop can start a content site um getting especially now with uh, with a lot of um uh, no code type um uh, software out there can create an e-commerce website drop shipping and everything else so it became competition made it made it a lot more difficult too yeah right well it's often said that the magic of the internet is that anybody can spin up a business and and have a global audience um instantaneously uh, and of course, that works both ways that if you do that, so too can everybody else. So the competition is um, the barriers to entry are low, which is good if you're on the outside and terrible if you're on the inside. Yeah. So the, the moat definitely eroded quite a bit over the past 10 years. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And not to mention COVID and, and just the desirability of having owning a remote business and, and just the, the lifestyle that it affords and so so much kind of people 
um, chasing after that. You mentioned Kingmakers, which I believe today goes by Acquira, same group, same folks. Uh, that so I, they haven't been mentioned, I don't think, on the pod. Maybe once or twice, but they're they're a name um, in our our world, and they're sort of um. I don't want to speak out of turn here, but sort of uh, an educational um, business and also kind of co-investing and, and, and helping the searchers that they educate then go off and do the thing and improve the businesses. They've got a whole model that they've, that they've worked on. So you were involved with them and then kind of learned a lot. You were one of the people helping the searchers that went through the Kingmakers now acquire a program and, and chose to kind of do it yourself. Is that the evolution? So the evolution is actually, uh, I was one of the founding team members. Um, I was a director of M&A. Um, and the idea is exactly what you just said, is helping searchers uh, actually own a significant higher equity uh, in the business post acquisition, close to 70 to 80, 80%. Um, and walking them through the whole process, including um, SBA, educating on, on them on that. Um, and really honing in on what their strengths are, doing a bit of a SWOT analysis on on their weaknesses, their strength, their competitive advantage, and everything else. So that you know, if if HVAC is the background that they have, or if it's wireless uh, companies, or if it's um, a granite, then we we lean towards searching for businesses, or you know, at the time um, that uh, that matches a bit of their background, and that's important for for SBA lending in general for you to have some background in the business that you're acquiring. Mm -hmm. Although uh, not always, which we're going to get to when we talk about operators, which we will do deeply. So you strike out on your own and what is the vision or at least what is the kind of the inception of Snowball? Because I know it iterated uh, in the early days. So walk us through that quickly. Sure. So it wasn't so much uh, on, the, on, on our own uh, as we're searching and sourcing more businesses, we're finding businesses that are above the um, um, uh, limit that SBA provides. And SBA is, is right around $5 million. There's obviously banks uh, that would make an exception to that. But we were seeing businesses that are $10, $15 million. Um, my co-founder, uh, Devin Sony at the time, uh, met with my other co-founder, Xavier, at, um, at a summit that an investor, uh, one of our investors connected them with. Um, and this is pretty much the origin of, of Snowball that I'm getting into, where um, they hit it off. They were talking about you know, the trades, how they're um, recession uh, resilient and, and pandemic resilient. Uh, a lot of people like to say they're recession proof, but you know, there's, there's, there's more than anything else, there's a resiliency that is built into them with best practices. Um, as soon as they met, same mind uh, connected well. Uh, Devin called me, hey, you got to meet these guys. Xavier called his uh, co-founder, Sieva, um, and you got to meet these guys. And so the four of us, within a matter of a few days, connected on a Zoom call, got along so well, uh, we decided to um, meet in person and come up with a, a joint venture where um, a Snowball uh, came into uh, fruition. Um, Xavier and Sieva and Devin flew down to, to LA. The four of us at the time, uh, I'm, I'm involved in a, in, a, in a restaurant where I like to say I enjoy the fruits of uh, other people's labor. It's not an easy business, uh, but, <laughs> but in, during COVID it was shut down. So I had the privilege of using the facility and, and uh, the four of us pretty much mastermind snowball from 10 a.m. To, to 10 p.m. and uh, broke bread and, and spent a good amount of time with each other really building and bonding. 
Um, and that was uh, pretty much the uh, right around, say, June, July of, of 2020. Uh, within within a four months uh, period since then, uh, we identified um, a few businesses who wanted to acquire and really honed in on on the, on the HVAC and a plumbing company um, out in in um, Northwest Arkansas and uh, the other one in, in Fairfax, Virginia. Great, and where I'm talking you to, to you today, you are in Northwest Arkansas in that acquisition, and I am in Arlington, Virginia, not far from Fairfax, your other acquisition. For the uh, listener paying close attention, the, the Xavier and Sieva that you refer to might be familiar names. Enduring Ventures is their Holtco. They Correct. are big on Twitter. If you were at SM Bash, they were on stage at SM Bash. Um, and uh, they're mentioned on my first million. I mean, they, they, they're uh, people who are who are known with enduring ventures. So just want to make sure that that's clear. And when you say you all kind of there was this chemistry between you, Sieva, Xavier and Devin, it was uh, personal. Chem well, I assume it was personal chemistry, but it was also around a vision, I guess, and, and the, just the, the, appe the appealing nature of kind of trades and how the, the appealing business characteristics of trades, but I also assume kind of the untapped potential and the the thing that a lot of people who are listening will know well, which is that they're maybe not as digitally forward or they don't have the best practices. And so there's a big opportunity there to professionalize, which is really the name of the game for, again, a lot of the listeners. Correct. And if and a few things, the, the chemistry outside of the personal, which, you know, it's to this day, you know, when you we have the privilege to continue having that partnership with your co-founders and and get along with them so well, it's uh, it's remarkable. Um, but also our core values in, into value investing and and seeing you know people like uh, Warren Buffett and, and Charlie Munger and Brookshire Hathaway and how they operate over the uh, over the decades and how they managed uh, capital and and the, the reputation of the businesses that they acquired and how important that is to them. Uh, our approach was exactly the same way. The reason Snowball is called Snowball is a hat tip to, to Warren Buffett's uh, autobiography uh, by the name, ah, same sure. name, Snowball. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I've, I've, I've listened to that book. That's right. So Great. We, we all grew up on, on those values. We all read his books and we all wanted to do the right thing and, and show that we can have impact um, a driven company um, uh, while also doing good and, uh, and providing growth and value to not only um, our investors, but all stakeholders, which includes our employees, our partners, our vendors, and everybody else. Um, and then the other leg to that is outside of the trades being a good business to be in, uh, it's also having impact on the, the most amount of people because you just, you, you can't outsource, at least to this state, um, a plumber to come to your house and, and fix your toilet or an HVAC technician to repair your air conditioning unit. Um, so us having a path where providing um, uh, people with the uh, ownership in the business that they uh, that they work in, uh, which is the whole idea for us to go public, uh, is that equity component and being able for them to have their net worth tied into the business that um, they provided the, the biggest value, you know, in their best years for them to be able to continue uh, enjoying that uh, for years to come and, and pass it on. Uh, to, to their next generation is it was a big mission uh, in Snowball's inception. Listeners of Acquiring Minds know that for almost any business you acquire, its success comes down to the people and how you develop and manage them as their new leader. 
Thing is, in addition to management, there is also a lot of process and bureaucratic work when it comes to your new employees. Payroll, compliance, HR technology, hiring, to name but a few. These processes are crucial to get right, but at the same time distract from where you want to be putting your energy, in leadership. So, Aspen HR is an HR firm and PEO that takes this work off your plate and handles it with the care it demands. Aspen is owned and run by Mark Sinatra, himself a successful former searcher. So Aspen's own leadership understands the HR challenges that searchers have post-acquisition. The firm is offering Acquiring Minds listeners a complimentary pre-acquisition HR and PEO review for your target business. Check out AspenHR.com or contact Mark directly at Mark at AspenHR.com. So you have, um, you've constructed the business entity such that providing employees all the way down and perhaps especially the field crews, um, the ability to buy equity into, I assume, the parent entity, Snowball. Yep. And that will be equity that we all hope snowballs into something significant. And and so this, of course, is not something that um, your average plumber plumber typically has access to. So so it's it's hopefully providing a great financial um, asset for his or her family. Um, and how would you say how would you differentiate that from a startup offering you know shares to early employee or to all employees? in Silicon Valley. So it's it's, it's similar. Uh, the difference is that the trade's never been privileged to have that option. It's always was the Silicon Valley, the startups, uh, the technology companies that had that as a path of ownership for their engineers, their marketers, and, and every staff member that they have. Uh, the typical plumber never had access to own um, stocks in the company that they operate in. Uh, we have plumbers that have shares. It's, it's literally part of our acquisition process. Uh, to provide shares um, uh, to you know uh, the field staff and and the general managers and uh, whoever wants to participate, and it's not just uh, acquiring into the um, uh, into Snowball, which many have uh, that they prefer owning shares in in the company uh, as opposed to um, getting a cash bonus and they want to get shares uh, instead because uh, they believe in the mission and the growth of the company. We also provide as as a as a retention and recruitment and part of our acquisition. Uh, and it's something that now people are asking for it on a regular basis. It's like, hey, how can I get more uh, shares in a company? How do I, you know, you, you mentioned the uh, fundraising you have. How can I buy more shares? I want to have more equity stake in Snowball. Uh, it remind, you know, just to tie in a little bit to what we were discussing earlier, uh, one of the things that impressed uh, on me and our co-founders too was, you know, the GEs and GMs of the 50s and 60s and where they provided that American dream where you can do good work and participate in the growth of, uh, of the company you're working in through, um, the, through your, the re retirement program that they provide. That's exactly how we, wanted to do, how we want to operate. We want to bring back good American manufacturing type uh, values into the trades. And to, uh, to again, use the um, comparison or contrast it with Silicon Valley, the there, it's a little bit more speculative, obviously, because the the startup that you're working for, that stock isn't likely to be more worth much. I mean, just looking at the raw, the raw the percentages of the of the chances there. Yeah. Um, 
in your case, it's a different type of business. Yes, you want to snowball, and yes, you'd like to you, you'd like for this to grow is uh, very large. But it's um, these are these are linearly growing businesses, not um, not potential, you know, unicorns. Although I'm not saying you couldn't get to a billion dollars. Um, so so anyway, you know, respond to that uh, that that difference. We purchase, like you said, we we purchase not speculative businesses, but cash flowing businesses. And um, lucky for us, there's a lot of investors that are interested in in cash flowing businesses. Um, and the valuation, as soon as you we acquire a business at whatever multiple, you know, four or five um, times their um, their earnings. When when you combine it under the snowball umbrella and you start um, consolidating those revenues uh, under one one um, a holding company, well, there there is an exponential effect in the in the multiple expansion. So now, as a group, when you add a million dollar in EBITDA business uh, to snowball. Well, you know, fast forward and we're doing 5 million, then 10 million, your multiples goes from uh, four times earnings to eight times to uh, 15 and plus. Um, that's tang- tangible and exactly what the market is, is currently pricing it at, uh, both at the private and, and public markets, because we're tracking both. Um, and that's something that even as we're doing our capital raises, there's an actual uh, stock uh, value to our shares. Uh, so mm-hmm. they know exactly, hey, Snowball right now is valued at 46 million. It, it translates to 30 cents per share. Uh, and then when we do the next raise, you know, because we um, closed on two more acquisitions, it added this much more to our revenue and our bottom line, our valuation is now pegged at 50 cents and so on. Uh, so they can see that growth um, year over year as each milestone that we hit until we uh, actually go public. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so on the point of going public, that of course is when the the true liquidity of the shares can occur. What what does that look like? What are you telling your employees and in, in the employees of your pros- prospective acquisitions about that? Sure. Yeah. So our right now we're tracking for Q1, Q2 of 2025 to go public. Uh, depending on how quickly we will finish our uh, audits uh, for 2024, will dictate um, uh, when we go public in in 2025. But that's pretty much the the path that we're headed. Um, at the size that we will be uh, by that time, um, the New York Stock Exchange uh, would uh, make the most sense. Uh, we have discussed uh, the Toronto Stock Exchange. If we go that path, uh, it'll probably be sooner uh, than 2025. Regulation and, and the cost of being public and staying public is significantly less at the TSX, um, including the type of audits you would do, you know, private versus uh, uh, public. It's not as, as stringent. Um, and just uh, everything else that you would have to pay um, to continue being uh, listed. Uh, but right now, our track record is in two years. Um, and and the only way that it would be sooner is if we decide, hey, we want to go through uh, the TSX. And what would um, make that decision is if we pass the $100 million mark um, uh, before 2025. And we are, we are under uh, discussions with some companies that will bring us closer to 120 plus uh, before end of the year. So that's the key milestone, $100 million in, in revenue, um, which in HVAC, I would imagine, uh, equates to 10 to $20 million in EBITDA. Uh, uh, correct. Um, we do have overhead as a consolidated uh, company at, at Snowball, um, but it would equate to about uh, 15 to $20 million in EBITDA at the portfolio levels. Mm-hmm. 
And can you say what you're at now? Right now, uh, we're at uh, tracking for 45 million in uh, revenue, especially with the new acquisitions we closed on uh, recently. Um, EBITDA, uh, we should be around uh, three and a half million uh, by end of the year, consolidated. Are you aware of anyone else pursuing this? I mean, is this, is this, th- there's probably private equity uh, rolling up particular like trades and, and other sweaty businesses uh, that I'm unaware of. And I assume they're, the exit they're also looking for is, is, is an IPO. Uh, um, are you similar? Uh, first of all, are they? I don't really know that. I'm just speculating. And are you all similar to, to that playbook? Uh, I guess the fact that you're offering equity to employees is different, but comment on that, please. We don't know enough um, companies, or not enough, that many companies that are actually going public um, through the trades as a path for liquidity. Uh, There's a lot of private equity that have their second uh, flip. That's usually the the playbook uh, that they're at. Eventually, you get to a size that the second flip is to go public. We do know of uh, three companies that that's where... um, uh, where they want to be headed and they're looking for the right timing for them. One of them shared with us that they're looking um, to do it in about eight years. Uh, and a, another one is preparing for it now, which means it might be in, in also two to three years. Um, it just takes time um, to get to that, uh, uh, to get listed. Um, but for us, the reason that's important for it to be day one, um, being a publicly traded company, and that was you know the whole idea of of snowball outside of obviously the equity stake for for our employees we've noticed with sellers the one of the biggest concern is hey if i sell you my business to you when is the next flip i know you talk about legacy i know you talk about culture you're going to take care of my staff but you're not going to be the one that's still owning the business in in five years in three years who are you going to flip the next one when is that happening uh, so for us uh, we're able to right away address that and say when you sell to snowball um, you sell uh, you sell forever because our flip is to be listed. Uh, our liquidity event for investors is to be a publicly traded company. And at that, at that point, there is no second flip. Um, all investors have an equity stake in the company, including yourself as a seller if you want to retain a portion uh, of your exit into Snowball shares. Uh, so you can participate with that growth and you can have that second bite of the apple with the rest of the uh, uh, investors that we have when we go public. Um, mm-hmm. And they like that quite a bit because then they know, hey, the people that they're talking to right now are the people that are going to continue taking care of their brand, their equity, and, and their staff over over the long time. Well, and to your point about what you just said about brand, this is a topic that we're going to hit directly, but you keep the brands of the businesses that you acquire, which is um, probably also appealing to the sellers. Interesting that the sellers, I mean, maybe it's not interesting, maybe uh, I'm underestimating them, but you know, for all of the talk about how a lot of these small local service home services businesses don't have the professionalization, sometimes the word used is sophistication, um, that they are sophisticated enough to understand the private equity model that, you know, if a private equity buyer is talking to them, that private equity buyer um, has their own exit plans. So they're not, so they they, they get that. 100%. You found. 100%. There. Um, they're very keen, extremely astute. It's a small uh, community. They they talk and they share uh, what multiples um, they received, what multiples the other uh, so and so did, 
Um, and what do they need to actually prep in order to achieve that? There are uh, coaching organizations and training organizations set up specifically to get you exit ready um, around that. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Quite a few of them. Um, and coach them even on on the PNL side. Hey, all the um, trucks that you have that you own, uh, lease them so that um, um, your overall numbers uh, look better. Um, start um, uh, bringing a management team because you'll be able to get a higher multiple if you show you actually have a management team as opposed to you know the owner operator is doing absolutely everything and anything. Um, so and, and it's a one year process. It's a two year process sometimes to be able to achieve that. But when you sh model it for them that you'll be able to get one, two, three turns higher in your uh, multiples exit, it's attractive for them to start getting exit ready. They mm -hmm. uh, absolutely, uh, it's uh, it's ubiquitous within within the community. And when you say the community, do you mean kind of all home services, all trades, or specifically HVAC? All home services. No. Yeah. Okay. The ones that I've been involved with, because we uh, go to trades events quite a bit, uh, surrounds um, uh, pool service, garage doors, roofing, electrical, plumbing, um, uh, landscaping. Uh, so uh, all these tra uh, trades, you know, um, fumigation and so on. Well, I wonder if those those businesses, the coaching businesses that are helping to get them exit ready, um, are telling them about searchers. You have this other option where you could sell to an individual um, or if it's all just, you know, kind of um, thinking is private equity is the, is the target audience of the sale. I, I think they definitely coach them towards private equity as the bigger exit, but they do talk about uh, searchers that you'll have different people um, that will reach out to you. Uh, usually private equity is the one that people know that they'll be able to uh, negotiate the highest uh, cash exit. Yeah, We've yeah. come across that ourselves quite a bit. Yeah. yeah, and we're not the biggest cash buyer uh, because you know we, part of our process is actually dis to disqualify uh, businesses that the only thing they're looking for is like the highest exit. Um, usually, there's there's issues with that as well. If you just give me uh, as much cash up front, and I just want to uh, and I just want to leave the business, uh, as, and we're okay with that. But um, our approach is to make sure like we're we're at the core values level. And we're also in alignment that you care about the culture, you care about training and development, uh, and that breeds into your rank and file. Um, and we'll be able to flush that out regardless, but that's one of our ways of disqualifying a deal. Well, let's segue into when you're talking to sellers um, and you know who's operating these businesses when you acquire them, and then who operates them after? What's your model there? Anybody doing this at any kind of scale, i.e. anybody doing it more than being the owner operator themselves has to have a playbook or a preferred way of having these multiple entities operate. What is Snowball's? Snowball's uh, ways to always identify a GM uh, to operate the business uh, post-acquisition. Uh, that GM would be either from within the company or us recruiting from uh, our network or start uh, reaching uh, outside of our uh, network. It's really important for us to make sure that the business can be its own standalone without day-to-day um, -day management of, uh, of the holding company. Uh, what that means, let's also make sure that within the first 30 days of acquisition, have a workshop, identify who's the leadership team, empower them 
uh, to take start taking ownership in their own decisions. Hundred uh, percent okay if you make mistakes. Uh, we coach to coach you through it. In fact, we expect mistakes because that's usually an indication that you're willing to think outside the box and 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 push the envelope um, as opposed to just staying um, within lanes and uh, not deviating from them. Uh, but that's really key to what we do. Uh, if we can't identify a general manager uh, to run a business, even right now as we're discussing an acquisition in in Washington State. Um, if we can identify a general manager either from our own network or within the business itself, then it's not an attractive business for us. Uh, we'll wait until we have um, uh, someone identified there. Or if the business is within half an hour or 40 minutes, a prox physical proximity to a business that we already have operating, then that's okay if there is no management in place because then we can lean on the back office support and leadership of the business that we have within physical proximity. Yeah. And the GMs, if they, they come from internal or they come from your own network, is there is it more commonly A versus B or so far, is there an expectation you have that they'll come from outside or that they'll come from within? So so far, it's 50-50. We start from yeah. within. We start identifying part of our due diligence and conversation with the seller, um, you know, who would be a GM. We get a chance to check their background, check their uh, work history and, and interview them as well. Um, if we if we see that that skill isn't there and and it's not something we can develop um we can develop it but not you know from day one it will be over time that they can be an operations manager and then a general manager then we want to bring someone with experience uh from outside the organization uh, and typically that would be someone uh, that is uh, working for a company that is at least doubled or tripled the size of the company that we acquired because you want to buy where you want to be uh, headed towards. Uh, so they know what that company looks like, what the organization makeup is, what is their DNA. It's $5 million business is very different than 10 and it's very different than 20. Uh, so if you're five or six or seven, you want to get to 20, hire someone um, that is already working in that environment. And from the same industry? Yes. So, so, so if you have... Uh, Ten million dollar HVAC business that you're contemplating putting an offer on, uh, or clo or closing on, and it's doing you know one point five million, two million in EBITDA. It, you are going to go out there, and and you somebody from the team, somebody internal, is not likely to be the GM. You are going to go out and look for somebody currently running a twenty million or even thirty million dollar HVAC business, um, and are the and. Do I do you have a roster of those people already? I mean, given how active you've been in the industry, are are you kind of having to, you know, not start from a standstill? But you know, there there are you know you might be reaching out to somebody for the first time with every every new acquisition. So uh, we have we have a deep network um, at Snowball. One of the decisions we made is uh, any person we we hire is from the trades um so our coo is you know second generation uh, hvac tech he worked in wholesale has manufacturing relationships has done consulting our vp of sales and our general manager now of our uh, marketing company same thing 15 years from the wholesale side uh, they're all pretty networked so if i'm looking for someone um, in um, in missoula montana uh, to run an uh, operation or a plumbing operation and I don't have one identified there, chances are uh, we can reach to our network, you know, maybe two or three degrees of separation. 
um, and they're willing to relocate. Um, so a lot of times they might not actually be uh, within that uh, location uh, and they have some trades uh, background. So if we have a plumbing company, it's okay for us to um, bring someone that has a background in HVAC or electrical, as long as he um, uh, operates the business the way we operate the business, which is very retail-minded uh, with processes and systems and um, is, has a financial um, uh, background, uh, not so much in running a PL, but at least managing a PL and a budget uh, and knows what, what good looks like. And I know that's a bit of an advantage uh, for us compared to uh, other uh, searchers, uh, but that was very purposeful for us to let's let's build our network, let's build our bench, and let's make sure our bench itself has a, has a good referral network for us to uh, lean on. Amir, you just said how you you recognize that you all from you know the the, the deep network and how active you are in the space. You have the luxury, for lack of a better word, to to be able to really you know find somebody to move to Missoula, Montana, who's got a lot of experience and so on. And probably a lot of my listeners are are not in such a position. Um, that said, you and I in our pre-call did discuss how you do pretty strenuously advocate for searchers, if they're to buy a trades business, that they bring in, do a similar model where they they buy the business and they hire an operator to come in with them uh, for the transition and beyond and not to um, so that the buyer, the searcher can be hands off and just step away. The buyer, the searcher needs to be active, uh, but not, but, but the day to day of the business, the operations of the business, the, keeping the trains running on time, my, my phrase of choice, uh, that is something that, that you hire somebody else to do so that you can do the more strategic things from day one. Uh, I have referred back to this model now in multiple interviews, and it was uh, you who sort of crystallized it and really and really leaned on on that as something that you just fundamentally believe people should do. So I hope I haven't taken all the words out of your mouth. <laughs> please, please tell us in your own words and elaborate on on why you not only why you th this model is good because it's kind of self evidently good, but like. Sounds good, but it also sounds a little too good to be true. Why? Why do you believe it's actually so possible? Okay, so um, 100% agree uh, on that, and I appreciate your your continuing to to passing that word because it's, it's actually really important in in a lot of aspects. So let, let's touch on on the first thing you said on uh, us being in a, in a lucky position because of our network. We created that luck. Um, it was a very purposeful effect that hey, if we're going to continue doing acquisitions. We don't want to be in a situation where we don't have a GM, um, especially if it wasn't identified within. Uh, so what the playbook that I'm about to share is pretty much the playbook that I would do if I started from scratch, if I was a searcher myself, and I wouldn't have experience in, in, um, in the trade that I'm about to do an acquisition. So first, um, let's talk about uh, the why. Um, when you, when you uh, buy a business, um, what's attractive about it, it's the cash flow. It's that consistent cash flow year over year for the past 10 years. Um, that cash flow has in it baked in many years of experience, uh, many years of mistakes, many years of uh, trial and error. Uh, why would you like to reintroduce um, uh, uncertainty to that cash flow when the whole reason that you bought it was because of its stability that has been growing year over year? 
especially when now you're putting your own personal guarantee and your home on the line uh, on top of it. Uh, you should do every, everything you can to de-risk uh, that possibility. Uh, so that's on the why on the, um, on the personal side from, from your end. Uh, on the why on the, uh, on the second side of it is on the employees that you bought the business that they continue to operating. Um, they're afraid, they're scared, uh, there's uncertainty on their end. Uh, they didn't want to sell uh, the business, they didn't even know it was going for sale. So someone that is out of their industry, uh, getting introduced uh, to run the business, their, you know, are their jobs on the line? Are their paychecks in question? Uh, are things going to change now uh, because someone that doesn't have a background but just wanted to own a business is going to um, like create instability for them, for their family, for their mortgages and for their rents? So that's the why, and, and it should see it, sh it should see, sit as a as a responsibility of the searcher. Um, and then and then as far as like um, the importance of hiring a, a GM and how to go about it, um, when you when you hire a GM with experience, you bring with you um, that level of credibility, but also empathy and care that I care about this business to be successful. I want to take it to the next level. I brought someone that is from a business that is you know, double the size, triple the size, has been doing this for 20 years. Here's his pedigree. I'm right along with them um, to be able to understand the business and, and help um, uh, with any systems, implementations, and, and anything that he's, uh, he's not uh, within his strengths, uh, right alongside with them, whether it's leadership training, whether it's financial intelligence, whether it's marketing, whatever strengths that the searcher uh, typically has that they can bring to the table. Um, so my approach in, in, in doing that, if let's say six months to a year from now, uh, I'll be interested in, in, in buying a business and I start looking is start getting involved in the community, go to trade events, um, uh, join associations. There's every city and every state has one uh, for contractors. Those associations are, are not tied to you actually having a contracting license. You can be a, a business advisor, you can be a financial advisor, you can be a marketing advisor provide some value to join that association and start going to their events and, and networking. Um, not so much to hire the people that are within that association, but chances are they know someone and they'll start sharing that, hey, uh, I'm looking for a general manager, I'm acquiring a business in, in um, San Antonio, an HVAC company, do you know any someone? So, well, I know someone, uh, but for, you know, they, they live in LA or you know, they live in, in, uh, in um, Virginia, but maybe for the right opportunity, they'll relocate. Uh, so you being part of the community and uh, being value add um, will make a difference in how much they would want to help you in finding that. So that networking starts from uh, day one of when you're ready to search to make your life easier. Uh, I would even encourage, and this is where um, a lot of searches probably don't go this route, but it's something that I would do, especially if I'm going to risk my, um, uh, my net worth on it is work for six months in a well-run business. Find the best operator uh, in your city uh, that is doing 10 plus, has systems in place, has a good branding. Basically, the outcome you want to achieve when you buy a, a smaller business. Um, work at a discount. Uh, so if, let's say, you think you're worth $100,000, $200,000 a year, uh, work for fifty to sixty. Anything that just pays uh, your basic uh, needs uh, very frequently, the smaller operation, are, uh, their strengths is in accounting, their strengths is in marketing. Um, so provide that service for them, but in return, ask uh, to be involved in, the, in leadership discussions and in running a, 
uh, HVAC service plumbing business say, hey, I don't, I don't want to learn the business um, uh, of fixing HVACs, but I want to learn the business of running an HVAC company. Um, and for six months, be very transparent about what you're trying to achieve. And it's a trade between the two of you in terms of you get, you know, uh, high level services at a discount by providing additional value and, and learning. And, and just by doing that, you understand more of the details of, you know, even negotiating with manufacturers, wholesalers, taking advantage of rebate programs that you would never be uh, aware of being outside in uh, can save you a ton on, on margins and, um, and programs that they have that a lot of trades people in the trades don't know. Um, working with a well-run company, you'll be very much so exposed to it. And knowing how to take advantage of that so you have a bit of a, le a leg up on, in other searches when, when you buy a business. Uh, that would be 100% my, my uh, best approach. You want to go about it with the optics of de-risking it from day one. You have mm -hmm. uh, the business never had to deal with debt. You're introducing debt. That business went through many years of, um, of seasonal uh, ebbs and flow and economic uh, recessions. Uh, they know how to navigate it uh, uh, very well. Uh, you've never been in that position. Um, so bringing someone that has been there can be your right-hand guy from day one. Uh, and that that's that's probably would be like my, my biggest um, uh, advice to any searcher going in, in uh, the acquisition uh, path. Yeah. Well, Amir, that does sound great and quite convincing. It does have the prerequisite, however, that the searcher is committed to a home services acquisition or or if you use this playbook for some other industry that they need to want to know the industry that they're going to uh, buy a business in. And many searchers do, but many don't. Many are, are ultimately just driven by the deal that they can get really. Um, so so I just that that needs to be that caveat needs to be pointed out. Um, but yes, how strong to buy an HVAC business after you've worked in another one, uh, a well-run one for six months and, and really got your hands dirty and know what, you know, understood what it looks like. Um, and then, you know, built a network and, and found an operator to come with you to buy that business. The operator is more experienced than you, but at least you have um, six months of experience, um, which helps your own true capabilities, but also your credibility with both your operator and your new employees. So it's a, it's a, it sounds like a great recipe. Um, great, Amir. And and um, to the point about, oh, how do you incentivize uh, operators? So I, I know this is a topic unto itself, um, probably for HR specialists, but give us just some bullet points a minute on if you were buying a, an HVAC, HVAC business in Missoula, Montana, you know, what are the broad strokes of a, of, a, of a compensation package you would offer to an operator to have them go uh, move there and run that business? Yeah, as, as, a, as a searcher will be slightly, you're a bit more limited as opposed to as Snowball because we have the equity component we talked about and, and a few other incentives uh, that we can provide. But as a searcher, uh, I would absolutely tie them into the, um, um, for the GM position to EBITDA. Um, and by saying that you can just have a baseline, this company is doing 1 million, let's say um, uh, anything above 900,000, or you can be even a million, 
uh, whatever economics that you want to um, uh, in- incentivize them uh, over uh, time, um, they get 10% of that uh, profit share. Uh, building a budget with them that, hey, you, you can participate in this, in this 10%, uh, or uh, if it's based on uh, growth that you want to motivate them while maintaining gross margins, then you can provide a, a, a budget where, hey, if we hit these milestones uh, every month, uh, or every quarter you get paid uh, where you hit these revenue uh, and thresholds while maintaining this this margin. So if you want to optimize for growth, uh, then we will base it on on gross margin and uh, within the budget. If you want to optimize for uh, the bottom line and stability, then you say anything above uh, X in the, on, on EBITDA and you'll get a, a percentage of it. Um, that would be the, the two approaches on like, what am I trying to achieve? Um, at Snowball, we, we have a little bit more flexibility. We can dial it in based on position, whether it's the service manager, the construction manager, or the general manager. Um, so divisionally, we'll, we'll uh, adapt, and they'll have their own budgets that rolls up into the full ent- to the complete entity at the top. Um, mm-hmm. And add to it also uh, uh, stocks and equity. Uh, I would encourage um, uh, searchers to uh, think with ownership in mind for the GMs, especially if they want to have it a, a long-term engagement. They can have a vesting period on that equity portion with them with a one-year uh, hurdle. Uh, but a lot of searchers um, uh, might not be interested in that path. So, well, uh, they might not be interested. Why? Because they want to keep as much of the economics as much of the equity as possible. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And one other question, Amir, just on on kind of the two models that you spelled out of how to structure a profit share, um, either growth of revenue while maintaining gross margins, if you wanted to be kind of more growth oriented, or uh, growth of EBITDA, or growth of EBITDA while maintaining gross margins. Percentage of EBITDA. Um, So let's say um, you just care that the business is doing, you know, uh, 10% EBITDA or 15% EBITDA. And right now when you bought it, you, it was doing 1 million. As long as anything above um, continuing to keeping that status quo, anything above that, you don't care how it's achieved, uh, 10% of that um, will, will go to the GM. So if you grows it to 1.2 million, um, out of that 1.2 million, the delta is 200,000 to when you bought it in the baseline of the million, so twenty thousand uh, will go to the general manager, mm-hmm. um, and you can, you know, create a bit, if you if you want to make sure that the EBITDA margins are not eroding and they're not going uh, below ten percent, right. then you can just say um, at the minimum it has to be ten percent of EBITDA. Otherwise, even if you grow it, then you you won't achieve that uh, that milestone. It has to be between above fifteen, and you can even create ladders that if it's above fifteen percent um, uh, EBITDA margin while also growing it, then you get 15% of the um, uh, EBITDA difference. Um, or if it goes uh, closer to below that, then it will be 10%. So you give them additional uh, motivation and incentive to keep the margins above uh, 15%. Mm-hmm. Amir, is there some sort of uh, book uh, or a reading material on structuring these um, incentive packages or is this because it you know there's so many little tactics and levers to pull um, and for somebody to get a a primer on it I'm sure would be helpful 
um, rather than, than just being able to you know listen to it on a podcast. Is there is there some thing you you point people to, or have you just accumulated this knowledge piece by piece over the years? So I've been lucky enough to be surrounded by extremely talented people. Um, <laughs> so uh, let's talk about that for a second. Every okay. person within uh, the Snowball organization is better at uh, than me in, in what they do. Uh, and that's been on purpose. Um, I want people that, um, uh, that are better than me. Uh, I, I know what my strengths are. Um, and my strengths is more on the people side and, and leadership and, and vision versus uh, my COO where operation and, and leadership is and, and leadership training is more his strengths. And we have a coach, uh, director of education that we have. Uh, his background uh, spans over many decades. And he's been from uh, the coaching industry and he's run companies and he um, consulted and, um, and his talents helps um, us become better as a team. So talking to them regularly, learning from them as far as different uh, incentive packages uh, for the trade specifically that are based on a budget, um, tried, and, tried in different scenarios and different trades and different moments of the company is what what matters if it's a turnaround if it's a growth if it's trying to stabilize it then you you adjust the, the compensation package based on that um, i could ask them uh, if there's a specific book um, but i could tell you right now what they would say is we're building a, a university within snowball um, it's called snowball university part of that is exactly uh, what i just mentioned um, where we'll have management training and leadership training and this is how you set up a compensation. This is how you do a budget. Uh, this is how you can incentivize your GM and your service manager and, and your operations manager. And this is what th that would re usually result in uh, based on these incentives. Uh, with that also comes uh, financial training, comes best practices for um, call taking and, and, and uh, sales process and technician process. Um, and that's part of what we do and make sure I accumulate all this knowledge into one online training program uh, that over time, as it gets flushed out and we finish all the uh, master courses in it, uh, shared with outside businesses uh, from Snowball. Wow. Sounds like a uh, really uh, powerful corpus of uh, knowledge that you guys are, are building. Yeah. Uh, I want to go back to kind of tying in the the operator um hiring an operator in your acquisition for a searcher one of the things that you said offline to me was how you made a great point that $500,000 of SDE um is kind of maybe a little low for what a self-funded searcher might consider the best practice band which might be more like 700 to a million and about whatever you can get before you start competing with private equity. Let's call yeah. it 750 to 1.25 million. But you pointed out uh, that 500,000 SDE might mean that there's actually an operator there or some sort of management layer. Whereas a $900,000 SDE business might be $900,000 because the owner operator is doing everything. And so they're effectively the same business, the, the same, the, the same, um, like the profitability of these two businesses is effectively the same. One has just, you know, put money out to hire an operator or a manager or two, and the other hasn't. Uh, maybe that maybe the, that four hundred thousand dollar difference is a little wide of a band. But the point remains, 
don't you're you you would say don't run away from a five hundred thousand dollar SDE business. Don't have that be your filter because you should look at those businesses. You can quickly find out if the reason that the, that the number is there is because there's management in place. Do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, absolutely. So it comes down to the the quality of that SDE and the quality of that earning. We've seen uh, quite a few businesses that it's making you know five hundred thousand five hundred. Um, 450 um, and normally like oh this is too small but then you see the number of trucks they have you see the management team you ask for the org chart you see there's a sales manager a service manager you see there's a warehouse manager it's like okay this is this is not a, a owner-run business this is a management-run yeah. business um, and yeah. now it's attractive now in that scenario you don't have to get a gm um, day one chances are between that group of three four people you can be um, uh, provide your expertise because there's a management team in place and there is real um, uh, infrastructure and, and, and bones uh, to the business that now you can build on. Uh, we've seen companies doing uh, above 1 million in uh, net income off of nine uh, individuals total. That indicates uh, to us that the owner is doing absolutely everything. Um, and, and that if that business wasn't within half an hour drive from one of our companies that actually has a leadership and, and back office support, uh, we would not be tr interested in it. Or if we are, we're going to pretty much backtrack and say, hey, what would it look like for us to stabilize that business? Well, now it's looking closer to 750,000. Okay, so let's base our acquisition price as if it was a 750 business as opposed to a million dollar business. And yeah. that's part of the whole add back, but a lot of owners will, will struggle in seeing that as well. And so, so yeah, I absolutely would not um, just um, uh, walk away from something that is below 500. Uh, I would, at the very least, it's worth looking one layer deeper. I would yeah. say even a third layer, uh, similar to buying houses, start start comparing the PNL and the and the prospectuses and the SIM to the actual physical business. Take a look at the warehouse. Take a look at the shop. And um, how they're describing it on paper it might be very different walking into it. They might have a reception. They might actually have a well-run cubicles and Service Titan implemented or Service Fusion or any software. Um, they might have or good, clear organization in place. Um, no need to discard it until you start connecting PNL SIMs to physical uh, brick and mortar uh, walkthrough. Uh, and then vice versa, you might see really great businesses on paper. You go visit them and it's basically, um, you know, running off of a Conex box uh, just as a, as a storage. <laughs> and we've seen that uh, sometimes maybe two Conex boxes, but they absolutely <laughs> exist. Um, so that's what I start building that muscle uh, between tying in the, the online representation of it, the financial representation and the actual uh, physical brick and mortar. That's great advice, Amir. Um, this is going to be a, 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 a question whose answer is, of course, it depends. But if you ha if I pushed you to generalize, for the searcher listening, is is which is more appealing? The business that has less SDE because there's some management there already, some structure, some professionalization, or the raw business with a lot more SDE but you know, a lot less mature in terms of professionalization and management because you know, the, the raw business, like that as, as many searchers will, will feel and will say, like that's the opportunity. 
that's my opportunity to, to be the one to professionalize it. So do you have um, you know, a go-to answer on, on, on this, th th this fork in the road between these two options? As, as the first business, I would say the one that is a little bit more uh, structured. Um, the messy one, the one that the opportunity lies, that should be your second business um, or the second acquisition. Uh, because now you know what you can do with that mess. Now you can see the opportunity that from the outside um, you wouldn't recognize. And some of that opportunity might actually be in lower margins uh, and the company is not doing well. And you, and you can identify that this 300,000 uh, EBITDA business, it's actually 600 to 700,000 because they're not doing X, Y, and Z that we now are doing on this company. You wouldn't know that until you actually are, you know, at least six months to nine months in that business. Um, your optics will change as far as what even an opportunity means and what what mess what a mess means uh, and where it, where that lies. Uh, at least the first business uh, get something that is well run that you can start scaling and growing. Second, third, have at it. <laughs> <laughs> Great, I love that you had a very clear answer. Yeah. Amir, you, um, as we said at the outset, you are sitting in one of your acquisitions. Anderson is the name of the business. Yes. There's a, a big, beautiful A over your shoulder, the logo of the business. Yeah. Uh, that does look like a um, spiffy, modern logo for, for a home, home services business. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's your influence or if they, if they had that logo before, but it looks, it looks slick. Uh, why don't you give us quickly the story of that acquisition, your first um, and then I want to ask about keeping the brand of, of your acquisitions. I'll, I'll, I'll ask it again. So give us a story, please. Sure, absolutely. So um, Anderson Air didn't have a website uh, when we acquired it. And ah. so, <laughs> so this, is, Anderson a Air. this <laughs> is a company that is doing, um, that was doing uh, 10 million plus in, in revenue um, with, with, no, with no website and no wow. marketing. Everything is just wow. re was relationship-based. Uh, over three generations uh, from the um, uh, grandfather of, of the current GM, which that's its own success story of, um, of the GM. Uh, is the son of the owner that we bought the business. Um, we identified that he has all the leadership traits that we're looking for, uh, that is empathy-driven, uh, uh, kind, respectful, uh, and very much so about uh, you know, keeping the, the reputation and, and, and uh, leading uh, his team that way uh, with, with great temperament um, to boot. So, and that's really important when you're scaling and growing company, uh, challenges will happen all the time. Uh, you need someone that has good, uh, good temperament, but I'm segueing on, on the, on the actual first acquisition. So Anderson being the first acquisition for us, um, uh, we saw the opportunity right away in, in, in the, in the people. Um, I think one of our due diligence uh, was when, you know, we came and, and saw the operation. Uh, you can see that you know when you walk into their offices, they they treat you like family. Uh, that southern hospitality—it's um, it's not just a buzzword. It's not just what people talk about. You you feel it walking into it, um, and they treat you like that. You want to know uh, whose family because everybody is is treated equally in that sense. Um, um, that that made an impression on us, um, and something that we absolutely wanted to continue uh, building on. So after. Doing our due diligence and, and seeing that a lot of the um, uh, partners that they work with, a lot of the builders within the community, it's a very close community that um, um, we can see there's longevity we can build on. Northwest Arkansas in general um, is growing at a very rapid clip in terms of 
population growth and investment, a lot of that is driven um, by um, the Walton family, the J.P. Hans and, um, and, um, and the Tyson family. They're investing quite a, quite a bit into this corner that's helping new construction. So we can see that um, Anderson can, can have a good three, four, five, um, ten uh, years ahead of it in, in building as, as part of that community. Um, so uh, with, with our due diligence on that and, and talking to the sons that were at the time um, service technicians uh, for, for um, uh, the owners, which is, was their fathers because it was three brothers, uh, they, um, uh, we wanted to uh, give them the opportunity to be in management positions. Uh, we see the importance of continuing the, uh, their legacy uh, through the generation. Um, John Anderson is the, the son of uh, Mike Anderson, and, and he was the, the, the primary uh, GM and the primary owner of the business. Uh, we um, uh, talked to him about being the GM, and, and he stepped up, and he's been the general manager from, uh, from day one over the past uh, two and a half years now. Uh, he's grown the company from uh, 10 million to 20 million plus. Um, that's where we in track. three years? In two and a half. In two, in two uh, well, and a half years, three, three years. It would be three years uh, in December, and and that's when they will hit uh, twenty one million in revenue. Um, wow. Yeah, um, it's impressive. Uh, from uh, thirty personnel to to seventy plus, uh, it's that's not easy uh, to manage a seventy plus um, a workforce. Um, so we uh, help them uh, through collaborative uh, workshops and leadership workshops that we do. Um, to build his leadership team. He has a great people and culture person that is his uh, right-hand, um, well, not right-hand man, but right-hand woman. Um, she's, she's fantastic. She's more than anything else. She's more like a people operations person. Um, we have a great service manager that recently uh, joined us about six months ago and a pre-construction manager uh, that joined us about two months ago. It took two years to actually build a, a leadership team. In those positions, uh, prior to that, uh, there was the, the other two um, uh, cousins in the business. Uh, one is Jason Anderson and the other one is Derek Anderson. Uh, Derek is now the lead estimator, the senior estimator. That's what he enjoys doing. Um, a lot of the relationships that the, he has with the builders, um, it's you know something that he continues to build on. And we have uh, Jason Anderson that he's our um, comfort advisor. Uh, last year, he did uh, two million in sales. Uh, this year, uh, we're not even six months into the year, he's already done uh, 1 million and the season hasn't even started. Um, so we're, we're uh, projecting that he'll do close to two and a half to 3 million in sales uh, all by himself. So, uh, and by himself, you know, there's a whole team behind them, but uh, as a salesperson. So um, that's exciting for us. This is a team that three years ago was getting paid $19 an hour, $20 an hour. Um, and now they're doing north of uh, of six figures, uh, something that you know they're, they're proud of. So that's really uh, quite a success story, Amir. Congratulations! Yeah, thank you. And the team just started. Um, now we have the the leadership team in place that uh, we can see just continue having that that successive growth year over year. And um, what unlocked? the 10 to 20 million dollars growth in in less than three years and whatever two and a half or three years what was it 
your big brains coming in or was it giving was it giving uh the these guys kind of a longer leash what 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 was the magic there i mean that's that's impressive um definitely wasn't my big brains and definitely um no leash <laughs> it was providing them autonomy and coaching them and really investing in in leadership and and um and training i would say the the pivotal moment was bringing our CEO, uh, Matt Ballard, um, um, to the team and him, his experience in running um, the, we call it EOS light uh, workshops, uh, where it's a very soft touch approach and a very collaborative approach in, um, in building the leadership team. And it's going to be messy and it's going to be uh, have a few false starts. The leadership team that was in place two years ago, it is not the same leadership uh, uh, that is in, in place today. Um, so it came with let's invest into the leadership team. Let's focus on on the GM and and and, and um, his support staff, and let's empower them to make decisions. Let's empower them to make mistakes, and uh, allow them to grow with it. And us coaching them side by side, whether it's uh, weekly one on ones, quarterly workshops, however that is. Let's walk them through it. Um, our our general way that we engage with operating companies is very consultative. It's pretty much falls into three uh, buckets, either collaborative, which is where we prefer and we see the highest uh, growth uh, when we have that type of relationship. Um, uh, helping hands is when we actually take on uh, some fractional role within the company. That's not where we would like to be. And it's a bit of a stopgap until we identify the right person to take that on. And the last one is prescriptive. So if they specifically just need help with X, you know, come down, work with us as far as the add-on sales or financial intelligence or building a budget. It's very specific. We come down for like a day or two or help with very, uh, one specific task, negotiating with a vendor, whatever that is. Uh, where we like to be is, is collaborative. And it shows the testament with Anderson, what we accomplished when you have a collaborative approach with the operating company, uh, the growth that you can achieve uh, by doing that. So Amir, you, you training is clearly a big part of, of of the success of Anderson or the growth of Anderson, but it's also something you're baking into the overall snowball playbook and and family and mission. I heard you say EOS, EOS Lite. What can the audience, what can searchers, uh, people looking to buy one business or maybe you've already bought one business, learn from you? Is EOS really a panacea? I mean, is it really just like here, retraction? And, and please tell people what EOS is. Oh, EOS is entrepreneurial uh, um, uh, operating system. Operating system. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I call it EOS, and and then it's you know a lot of people call it EOS. Uh, but what it is is it really gives you a bit of a, a framework to work under because it gives you an opportunity to zoom out a little bit, uh, or a lot of it, um, uh, and not get lost into the into the weeds of the business and into the into the day to day. Um, so you know you you purposefully. Um, take a day out of out of a, your out of a quarter um, uh, to really discuss uh, at least the way we go about it um, is to and this is the light version is to discuss issues um, uh, of the business and you have a platform that the reason you have those issues uh, for like in a very constructive time uh, for about an hour uh, is so that any venting that you want to do in every meeting that you will have people people want to vent people want to talk about all the issues. So let's just have it in a constructive way, uh, put it all on the board, uh, but let's have a bit of a time limit on it so it doesn't take up all of our day. 
Um, and when you put all those issues on the wall, um, uh, people feel at the very least that they that they heard that they're heard. And, th and there's a real practical reason that I'll get into in a second why you want to actually write it down um, uh, on the board, and um, and it's pretty much leans into uh, the next step. And the next step is really identifying um, over the past 90 days, uh, what are the things that um, you liked? What are the things that uh, were, were done right? What are the things that um, um, you enjoyed that you were part of? Whatever that is, whether it was a new hire, whether it was a new technology, whether it was a, a birthday event or an outing, uh, you want to talk about the positives. Uh, we also want to talk about the, um, uh, the things that you were long, longed for. Uh, things that you wish that we had um, that um, uh, that we didn't, uh, and then the last two is um, lacked, um, and then uh, the other one uh, we call it the four L's, and sometimes it, it can get a little bit uh, forgetful about it. So liked, long for, learned, uh, and lacked. Um, the reason you put all these things on the on the board, including the issues, is one you want to see patterns, especially on the on the weaknesses side. Um, those those repeating issues, those re repeating items that you can actually uh, take action on and, and have traction with, uh, are the ones that um, you start building your next 90-day plan. Um, this is when you create your your one-page action plan, uh, where you know depending on uh, the leadership team that is within uh, the room with you, which one of those falls under their preview, uh, that they'll take an action to address that. And it's and you keep it to no more than uh, three items, so um, one, two, or three max. Uh, really making sure that it's a it's a smart action item with real timely deliverables around it and well defined. Um, and you start working on on issues that you guys have, um, and you want to make sure that um, there's real accountability and ownership on that as part of your leadership team, so that you're not lost in those uh, in that weeds and the, and the business doesn't always fall on there just putting out fires. There's somebody that has actually start building the sprinkle system and building the safety precautions so that we don't get into those situations in the future. Mm -hmm. That was great. Well, um, EOS is a, a vast topic and we could spend uh, a whole episode or probably multiple on, on it. So we'll, I'm going to just going to put it, leave it there, but, um, traction is the book where it, it was it came from right yeah so um and, but now i assume they're oh, and I have is it right behind here. you there yeah <laughs> <laughs> so if people want to deep dive first step is to read traction i assume there have been many other books now written about eos and how to do it and so on and there's people there's consultants who who are eos consultants right i mean there's a whole little cottage industry around eos now yeah. so um, I, I would add yeah. uh, on top of traction to read uh, get a grip um, it's the book that came after Traction that actually shows examples of how Traction was implemented and how it was um, uh, benefited an organization. These are uh, stories um, based on, on real life examples of the consultants that they're being shared and gives you a little bit more of a practical uh, knowledge or experience that you can read of like how it was applied and how it benefited an organization. So then when you go back to the actual Traction, um, uh, and review it as 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 um, as your workbook to achieve the same results, and really explains the why behind a lot of things. Great, thank you. I was going to circle back and ask you, Amir, about maintaining brand uh, at the businesses that you acquire. Mm -hmm. You've kept the name of Anderson, but you actually also kind of 
created a logo at the very least. Yeah. Um, and so, so talk, talk us through that. Talk us through what you would prescribe to searchers. And this probably is also an opportunity to tie in your digital marketing business acquisition. So all of the above, please. Absolutely. Um, we're big believers in retaining the brand um, and the brand equity that the, the company um, pretty much built over decades. Anderson is a perfect example of that. Uh, for 60 plus years, uh, people are familiar with Anderson uh, and Anderson Air. The last thing you want to do is, is, is tarnish that name and, and you know, rewrap it with uh, the holding company and wanting to build that. Uh, Snowball is uh, a company that has only been two years old. Nobody knows of Snowball. It uh, will not land well, um, especially replacing an organization that has deep roots within the community. And Anderson is not the exception. Uh, Diamondback is the same. Over um, 30 years plus, they built a reputation. And same thing with uh, with Clover out of uh, Fairfax, Virginia and Ashburn. Uh, so you want to build on that. Um, since Anderson didn't have quite an online presence and didn't have, um, they did have a logo, but it was mainly just a, a font script that was uh, that was written. Uh, we decided let's let's do a a, a refresh on it uh, while keeping sure that we are, are true to their um, uh, their roots, which is not to be um, um, too creative on the on the marketing side of it, and uh, to be respectful. Uh, to the business itself. So when we did the truck wraps, uh, we wanted to make sure that it's low key, but it stands out. Um, and I, and, uh, and it, probably if you go to their website, you could you could see um, AndersonAir.com. You could see some of the truck wraps we, we did. And the color that we chose actually worked out well. It wasn't um, just purposefully um, blue, but because Walmart is so ubiquitous here, that blue also worked well within within the community. Uh, so, and it's not Walmart <laughs> blue, but uh, it's close to it. Um, <laughs> and that was Walmart accident. blue, man. You, yeah. you want your business to survive. Yeah. You sue it out of existence. <laughs> yeah. So, so we stayed away from that, but it was, it was a, a, a sheer luck on that one. So we absolutely big believers in retaining the brands. Well, I was just going to, I just wanted to, um, to, to emphasize what you had told me in our pre-call that, that. Um, not not just for the market awareness of the brand, but be, just th this point about employees really associating with the brand. You know, I'm a, I'm an Anderson Air guy. I'm an Anderson Air uh, gal, <laughs> guy or gal. Um, so th there's um, a real connection yeah. uh, that employees feel to their brands, and, and and you don't want to disrupt or or jeopardize that, right? It's their tribe. You know, it's uh, like. Um in the military, you know, you have the Marines, you have the Navy, you have the Army. Uh, they're proud being in the military. They're proud being part of Snowball. Uh, but their tribe is the Marines. Their pride is the Navy SEALs. Uh, their, their pride is being... And there's a subset of, of, the, uh, of that tribe because you'll have the service department and you'll have the new construction department. And they understand that they're part of the bigger uh, tribe that is Anderson Air. And Anderson... Uh, air uh, employees know that they're part of a bigger organization that is in a uh, snowball uh, but being respectful to, to that levels um, uh, that they have that ownership and the, the badge of honor that they that they uh, wear with it every single day um, and every time that they pick up the call and say welcome to anderson air uh, you can feel it you can feel it in in their mm -hmm. in their chest uh, um, uh, bumping up and, and and the walk and saying that hey i work for anderson air and then, and then they can talk about uh, the benefits uh, that they get as part of being uh, that tribe. So that's important to us. 
Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a great point, it, and and kind of as you articulated it, it seems obvious. But so often we we think about brand uh, in terms of how brands hit the consumer and how it, what the brand means to the consumer and to the public. Um, but the brand has almost certainly much stronger meaning to those internal to the organization. So yeah. um, treat well, it treat it like the sacred thing that it is. And the, to your point, the customer feels that you know how pride how much of a pride does the a customer service rep carries themselves when they talk about Anderson, how much of a pride of the service tech uh, talks about when they walk into someone's house. They feel the pride when they ro- roll with um, a brand new a truck wrapped clean and, uh, and everything in between in that customer engagement experience. So the customer feels good that they're working and engaging with this, with this brand. Thank you, Amir, for, on that point. Um, Let's circle back around as a final question to improving the lives of, of employees, uh, particularly people in the trades. So this was something that was a shared vision between you and your early co-founders. You've given us an example about how the sons uh, of the sellers who were technicians are now are now management, um, earning six figures, growing the business. Also, I'll just say as an aside, um, many of my guests, or a number of my guests have said that even if they didn't set out to buy a small business for this reason, maybe they like the, the adventure of being, they wanted to be an entrepreneur, they like the adventure, they, the, the economics were compelling. They have found that um, improving the lives of their employees, helping their employees grow has been this incredible, uh, this incredible benefit value that they've experienced, which they um, underestimated going into it. Some people go into it with with that explicit goal, but many, it, it, it surprises them, but pleasantly, like extremely pleasantly, like, wow, this is so has been so valuable to me personally for this reason, for helping my my employees be their, you know, be their best selves. So what can the audience learn from what you are doing there at Snowball with that explicit mission? And so, yeah, I, I love one of my favorite topics is is, is impacting people, um, and no other industry can you do you have that privilege to impact as many people as the trades. Uh, getting into it, uh, uh, all of us, uh, ha- you know, we happen to have that in mind from from day one. How can we make their lives better, not just financially, not just through uh, ownership in the company and their own net worth, but also uh, the quality of the the life that they live. Uh, that also comes from. Yeah, the benefits package that we provide, you know, we have the same benefits package that you would get at the at a startup uh, or, or Silicon Valley type business. Um, the same benefits package that I have as an executive at Snowball, the same uh, benefits package as uh, the CSR or a helper or a, a rough in construction person have. Um, uh, whether it's um, health insurance, uh, life insurance, uh, vision, dental, eighty percent or eighty five percent coverage. Uh, for your whole family, not just yourself. Want to make sure that when you are working at 100 degrees, 100 humidity, or um, installing HVAC system, or 3 a.m. Um, uh, fixing a sewer line, uh, if there's a, a, a you get a text from your wife uh, that the, you know your your daughter or your son is sick, you're not worried about can I afford the copay? Can I afford the medical bill that comes with it? And um, you can continue. Focusing with um, with clarity on the job at hand because it's a very dangerous job. It's one of the top ten dangerous jobs is the construction, uh, more than you know firefighters and and um, and the police. 
Uh, so why don't we extend the same executive package uh, through and through within the whole organization? Uh, so it's a privilege for us uh, at Snowball to have that responsibility of 150 plus uh, families. And we take, that, we take that to heart and we continue making sure that any decision we make, we understand the impact is significantly more uh, than just us. Um, and continue ha working in that lens, it's um, something that um, it's every single person within the organization has. And Amir, to, to really crystallize this for the audience as a takeaway, um, is there a particular concrete way that they can um, benefit employees when they when they buy a blue collar business? Is it? I mean, I heard I hear you talking a lot about the benefits. Is it basically like would that be a good place to start? Look at the the existing benefits package to the extent it even exists, and do what you can to improve and and and, and provide a really generous benefits package. Uh, or is it not quite so? tactical and simple? It's simple for us because we have the benefits of scale. Um, it will be beneficial for them to look into it, to look at it, to see where they can improve and, and at least make um, some um, improvements from day one. But really what you want to start drumming is that you're not important um, as, a, as the searcher, they are. They're the revenue generation. They're the guys that are working in, in the business. Um, you're going to start implementing and actually be true to your word and follow up uh, training, setting up uh, development programs, giving them uh, career mobility, anything that you can show that you want to improve their lives because some of them might have already really good benefits packages from their partner. Uh, some of mm. them already might have that implemented uh, from the owner. Uh, some of them might have a, a profit share program and some don't. See what's missing. See how you can add value see what it will take to get there. Maybe it won't be day one, maybe it's uh, you know, uh, year one. Uh, sh be transparent and share that with the team so that they know, hey, if we achieve this, we can make these changes. It doesn't have to be with uh, the whole company, it could be at least with your leadership team um, and then work with them as far as like, hey, if we achieve this, we can, we're able to provide this benefits, let's get there. Um, mm -hmm. So you have a bit of a unified mission and vision with it. Uh, really changing your mindset that this isn't a watershed event for you to all to change from having a, a hundred to hundred thousand um, dollar salary career um, into all of a sudden having a business that is cash flowing seven hundred thousand or a million. This is um, a, more than anything else a path for you to impact a significant amount of lives outside of yours. Very well put. Uh, I'm going to end my questions there, Amir. Is there any topic that you wanted to air that I didn't ask you about? Let me just share a couple of things as far as um, uh, where we're headed. Um, so uh, you mentioned marketing uh, company that we have, uh, that we acquired. One yeah. of the reasons yeah. we acquired that company is we notice a lot of companies don't do well um, in, in SEO, especially when it comes to, to the trades. It has a bad reputation, um, quite a few. I don't even know what's involved in getting that done. It's not just writing articles online and significantly more involved than that. Uh, us having that digital background that I mentioned earlier and identifying a, a business through, uh, through our own network that they, um, they do, I would say, easily one of the top 1% in, in SEO out there. Uh, they just have really good operational systems around that. And we have uh, Anderson Air, for example's traffic is close to 50,000 plus visitors a month. Um, that's unheard of for a, a, a HVAC company in a, in, a, in, a, in a city that is surrounded by about 300 to 500,000 population. 
Um, especially when it didn't have a website. Especially when it didn't have a website wow. uh, two years ago. So um, less than two years ago. I'll, I'll take 50,000 visitors to the Acquiring yeah. Minds website, please. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and that's what's unique about them. And that's what's unique about uh, the content uh, strategy or SEO strategy for us that now that we have this base that they're, that that online brand um, uh, is increasing, yeah, they have an offline brand, they have a community brand within within where they've been operating for 60 years, but they had none online. We can start leveraging that and go outside Northwest Arkansas. We can go, you know, work in um, having a, a set up shop in, in Little Rock, a little bit more central, because uh, we get a lot of traffic from there as well. Uh, content marketing, as much as you try to be uh, localized, uh, you, you will get a ton of outside uh, traffic from areas that you don't anticipate. So you can start leveraging that. Um, so that's been a bit of our secret sauce in terms of the uh, demand generation and generating leads for our organizations that we acquire is marketing we have pretty much down pat. And we, sh we openly provide that service to um, uh, other companies that are interested. Um, so once we um, solve for the supply side of the equation by better training for the technicians and uh, recruiting and, and development, um, we, the other side of it is the demand generation. Um, because no matter what, doesn't matter how good your culture is, doesn't matter um, how well you pay, if you don't have, the, if the phones are not ringing, if you're not generating the leads, you're gonna, you're not gonna keep the technician's job full, and you're gonna lose them. Um, and when the phones are ringing, is uh, your your winning team and technicians want to work uh, in winning teams. Everybody wants to work in in winning teams. Uh, so being able to always conscious on both sides of that that equation is something that is quite unique to us. And so just to uh, be absolutely clear. You, the, the digital marketing firm that you acquired, uh, it w still takes outside clients. Yeah. So listeners, if they have already purchased their business, they could they could uh, reach out to you guys. And the name of the firm is, the design firm is? Uh, digitally Savvy. Digitally Savvy. Um, uh, I don't know if you can answer this off the cuff, but while I have you, Amir, what is it, what is roughly the monthly outlay to digitally savvy for a, a, like a comprehensive SEO package for a local home services business um, who wants to get to 50,000 visitors. Yes, I know that there's no guarantees, of course. Um, SEO, Google, it's all a, a bit of a black box. But if somebody likes the sound of that uh, and they want to shoot for it, what can they expect to uh, to pay? About 6,500 a month. Okay, great. And it is premium, but it's because it provided premium experience. Okay. What is the best way, how do you prefer people reach out to you if they have questions? Um, they could reach out to me on, on Twitter or LinkedIn. Uh, my um, handle is uh, my last name, at Habusheh. And same mm -hmm. thing with LinkedIn. If you look for Amir uh, Habusheh, uh, you'll find us. Um, I know one of the things you, you mentioned that we're talking about is also our capital raise and our um, uh, uh, crowdfunding that we do. Uh, that's um, if, if people are interested and they, they want to be notified whenever we do have opportunities to take on new investors and could be $500 to 500,000. That's the beauty of having being heading towards public uh, traded company and doing the crowdfunding route to achieve that. Um, you can just sign up to our newsletter and, and we'll notify them. So to be clear, anybody, anybody can become an investor now and and participate in this uh this predicted ipo in a couple of years 
Yeah, exactly. And, and with okay. that, um, there's um, milestones that we're achieving and uh, crowdfunding is the path. We finished the round that we wanted to raise uh, right now um, and we're planning on opening it again. Um, in, uh, and when it's open, uh, and that should be in, in anywhere from 30 days from now or even sooner. Um, and if you go to our website and you'll see invest in Snowball and you'll be able to either invest directly or, um, or get notified uh, if you subscribe to our newsletter. Okay. Um, well, great. I, I know so little about uh, crowdfunding from the perspective of a, an actual operating business like yours that I don't even know what to ask as a follow-up, but interested people will, will go to your website and, and look into it. I would love that. Uh, and, and we are at time, sir, so I'm going to let you go. This was a comprehensive and really interesting conversation, Amir. Really neat what you're doing with Snowball. Um, and I think, um, I, I mean, as you could feel throughout the course of the interview, I, you, you've done, you've gotten so much experience across these now five home services acquisitions uh, that I know the audience who have yet to do their first acquisition have a lot to learn from you. And so I, I, I think we drew, got squeezed you for a lot of information. It's been really valuable. Well, so thank you, sir. I, I love the opportunity, Will. So I really appreciate you having me. <laughs>